the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Irreverent, over the top, and smart as a whip. This is The Rob Black Show. What's working well in 2022? Is it the stock market? No, 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 no. Is the bond market? No, 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 no. It's the dogs. And this is the call for Baja, man. Who let the dogs out? Who, 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 who? The dogs of the Dow. Have you heard of it? It's not the most common thing that we grew up with, but we've probably heard about it. 2022 is the first year in recent memory where dividend-heavy stocks such as utilities, pharmaceuticals, pipelines, and blue-chip stocks that are consumer-oriented, stocks that are typically found in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, have held up fine. There's a massive disparity of results within this year's stock market. The fangs are big losers. Facebook, Amazon, Alphabet, Netflix, Google. Your aversion for bonds has been wise, even though I should like them. I don't. They've underperformed. REITs have underperformed, but the dogs of the Dow have done well. Stocks, the dogs of the Dow is top 10 members of the Dow Jones Industrial Average that begin the year with the highest dividends. Typically, this is because last year in the Dow, they underperformed. As the stock price goes lower, the dividend looks fatter and more premium. So if you get 3% for the year and the, the stock goes down a couple of bucks, you may get 3.1, 3.2%. So last year's losers tend to have the fattest dividends based on price of the stock. It's not that simple. But out of the 10 worst performing stocks last year in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, seven of them are up this year. Seven of them are positive. Um, dividend yields are impressive. Coca-Cola, 2.8%. 4.7% dividend yield for IBM. That's pretty impressive. If you have $100 in IBM, you get 4.7%. So you get $4.70 for any year of holding it. In theory, that's kind of the way it works. It's done on a quarterly payout, which is one quarter that... 470 and that 470 will make 4.7% next year. So it kind of compounds in an interesting way. But would you have thought that? And would you have bet, would you put money with IBM? I would not. To me, putting money with IBM is kind of like, I don't know, uh, investing in a tech company in the 1980s. No, no. Not investing in a tech company in the 1980s, investing in a tech company from the 1980s. 
So what's worked this year is safety. It won't always. People will look for higher returns. People will look for the go-go years to come back. Utilities, which electricity, gas, you get the idea, right? We need, we have to pay. Do you get electricity and gas if you don't pay your electricity bill? Nope. Do you need electricity and gas to live? Probably. Pharmaceuticals. At the age of 65, my mom was on seven drugs a day for the rest of her life. The numbers grew when she got hospitalized. Obviously, things like COVID would even mean more pharmaceuticals that she's ingesting just to stay alive. So pharmaceuticals are boring because we can look at how many people are 60. We can look at how many people are 70, how many people are 80. The prime years for pharmaceuticals, right? It's very easy business to, to eyeball. It's not always perfect. Sometimes you get like an erectile dysfunction treatment that works. Sometimes you get a treatment that causes cancer and kills people. Like it's not so easy that you could bet on the big three of pharmaceuticals or just walk away. Over time, I think you'd be fine. Pipelines. How boring is a pipeline? Pipeline just lays there. And guess what? It's a pipe. And guess what flows through it? Oil or natural gas. Guess what it is? It's just a pipe. It just lays. So it's a very boring model. They haven't come up with pipe 2.0. They haven't come out with uh, anti-terrorism pipe. They haven't done it. So pipe just lays there and it pays a big fat dividend. It's kind of like a road, a toll road for energy products to flow through. I am very attracted to utilities, pharmaceuticals, pipelines, things like Coca-Cola, blue chip consumer company. But more so when I'm in retirement or near retirement than during my years that I can take and expose my portfolio to a little bit more risk, knowing that things have always worked out for the markets, not necessarily individual stocks, but for the markets. If you want to look at some dividend dogs, there's a fund you can look at. The Alps Sector Dividend Dogs, ticker symbol SDOG. I highly recommend everyone do their own research and due diligence. Otherwise, you should hire a financial planner. Oddly enough, I work with financial planners. You need a referral, drop me an email, rob at robotshow.com. So if you want to look up some dividend dogs, they're called dogs because they underperformed last year. In an up year, they were kind of like, eh, you didn't really carry your own weight. Go out in the sheddy dog. There's the Alps International Sector, Dividend Dogs, ticker symbol IDOG. You'll be able to learn a lot about the Alps Sector Dividend Dogs, SDOG, or the Alps International Sector Dividend Dogs, IDOG, just by punching those ticker symbols into uh, a charting service, a quote service. You'll be able to look what they hold and why. Um, this year, a stock that's down that is not a dog, it's actually up for the year, but it's down a lot recently, is Caterpillar. I own shares of Caterpillar. You know why? Because it has a nice dividend. It's one of the very first stocks that I started buying and on my march towards retirement. Um, Caterpillar and Target. And they're not sexy. They just do a lot of cash flow in. They're a strong business. 
if you go out and try to make a big shovel that can push the dirt, you're not going to be able to make a caterpillar. When you take a look at the roads and you need a machine to smash the roads, you're not going to be able to do it. Caterpillar can't. John Deere, there's others, no doubt about it. Caterpillar could write bigger checks if it opts to emphasize cash payouts over buybacks. Um, I don't know with dividends or buybacks, which one I prefer. I think in pre-retirement, I prefer buybacks or, yeah, I think so, for the growth companies. And for companies that aren't going to grow much, I prefer higher dividends. You see why IBM has got a big fat dividend is because it's probably not going to come up with operating systems or a new service model or a new crypto exchange. It is what it is. It's a boring computer servicing um, big corporation company. So there's names that are in the dogs of the Dow I find very attractive, typically for retirement times. When I'm looking for a little bit of downside safety in the stock purchase price, and I'm looking for a little dividend increase each and every year. Not enough to keep up with inflation, probably. I realize that. So you can't get too safe with your cash and your dividends. Like Mason also has a low volatility, high dividend fund. Um, this is something I've owned in the past. Ticker symbol is LVHD. It's LVHD. Believe it or not, in some of my growth years, I would use this as a saving vehicle in lieu of cash and in lieu of bonds. It's the Leg Mason Low Volatility High Dividend ETF. Ticker symbol is LVHD. Again, consult a broker advisor for taking action on any stocks ever mentioned on the show. This is not strategy for you. I don't know you, but I'm trying to teach you a little bit more. What's working, what's not working, dogs of the Dow, best of the show. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. An education-first approach to managing your money. This is The Rob Black Show. I raised some money last year with sale of a property, and I kept some cash. <clears throat> Looking at the stock market, I was having a tough time finding things that I wanted to buy. I tend to love to buy mutual funds through my 401k or ETFs through my 401k every two weeks. That's fine. But when it comes to stocks, I get a little bit pickier. You've heard about stock picking. 2022 is playing out almost too obviously. And I hope you're not panicking. Because this is almost <clears throat> textbook. And what happens next? And what happens next? And what happens next? Now, for 2022, we can boil it down to inflation reared its ugly head in the first six months of the year. We started really, really talking about inflation the last six months of last year when the stock market's hitting all-time highs. Now, when the numbers actually hit, we weren't terribly surprised by it. Oh, but we were because it was larger than we thought and it wasn't transitory. And typically, the stock market would react with a dip and we would buy the dip and the stock market would come back. So things kind of went off what we were used to, but still very, very textbook. A business cycle starts with expansion. It's the first stage in business cycle. We are not expanding right now. We're probably contracting in a recession. But let's go to the start of a business cycle. You start with expansion. 
There's an increase in positive economic indicators like employment, like income, output, wages, profits, demand, supply of goods and services. Okay. Increase in positive indicators like employment. Well, we're fully employed right now. Income, we're seeing wage inflation. Profits, um, we're not at record. So we're not starting the business cycle right now. And the supply of goods and services are skimpy. So we're definitely not in an expansion. What's after expansion? Peak. That's where the economy reaches a saturation point, which is the second stage of a business cycle. It's the maximum limit that we can employ people, where we get maximum incomes and maximum outputs, uh, great wages, fantastic profits, huge demand, and supplying goods and services are no problems. Debtors are paid their debts. People are happy to lend money to to stoke that expansion. Now, after a peak in a business cycle, you start with an expansion, you hit to peak. Then you go into a recession. Demand for goods and services starts declining rapidly. Um, I can just give you antidotal. Uh, I have some high-class problems, and I know it. Um, I've been telling the spouse, like, uh, are we almost done booking summer camps for the kids? Because they're expensive. And I was like, can we take the last couple weeks off and just enjoy our kids and not send them off to camps? And she's, you know, she's like, sure, that's a great idea. But also financially speaking, it's nice not to have to write a check in late August or August when they go back to school. So already, I'm kind of back on my, I'm acting like there's a recession. Producers do not notice the decrease in demand instantly. They go on producing, they create too much excess supply in the market. Prices tend to fall. We're definitely not there. A depression, there's a commiserate rise in unemployment. The growth of the economy continues to decline, and this falls below the steady growth line. The stage is called a depression. So depressions can happen. They're not common. Then you get to trough. This is a depression stage. This is a stage that's not happy. The economy's growth rate becomes negative. Further decline hits factors and well as like demand for demand not there. Supply of goods are problematic. The economy eventually reaches its trough. It's a negative saturation point for an economy. There's extensive depletion of nat- national income and expenditure. I would say we're close to a trough. And then you get to the recovery. Recovery after the trough, the economy moves to the stage recovery. In this phase, there's a turnaround in the economy. It begins to recover from the negative growth rate. Demand starts to pick up due to low prices. Supply begins to increase. Population develops a positive attitude towards investment and employment, and production starts increasing. Employment begins to rise, and due to accumulated cash balances with bankers, lending shows positive signals. I don't think we're, we're in the recovery. I don't feel bankers are lending more. I don't feel things are going well. So taking a look at a business cycle, you could look at it as a left-right arrow. On the left side, you start with an expansion. And that's above the trend line. It's growing. Then you hit peak. That's above the trend line. It's growing. Third on the arrow line would be recession. So it goes from expansion to peak recession. It's still growing. Then you get into a little depression. That's where you get in the negative numbers and the, the trough. 
and then you hit the recovery and the, you come off bottoms. Our economy is not going to zero. We are not going to buy guns, shotguns, and um, hoard food. We're not going to live underground. We're not going to have passwords to get into the community. Well, maybe some of these things are going to be true, but probably not all of them, right? We don't have a zombie apocalypse coming. So somewhere in here, we're going to kind of trough out. Now, this is not the perfect example of a business cycle, in large part because of what happened in 2019 was normalized. 2020 became COVID-19 year, which kind of is messed up when you think about it. But the United States was hit by COVID-19 in 2020 because the year doesn't match up. It's a little logically tough to chew through. But um, 2020 had a lot of government stimulus. So when we were supposed to be rising wages, we had rising income. But a lot of it was people were paid more to stay home in low-paying jobs than to go to the low-paying jobs. So some people actually benefited. And I don't know. This is going to sound horrible to like bring in Mitch McConnell. I'm not trying to say positive or negative. I think he's a uh, divisive figure. But he recently said the economy will get back on track when people run out of stimulus money. I think there's some truth to that. Um, I think crypto was the dumbest thing that ever happened to our society, and it happened when the economy was shut down. How will crypto do in a normalized economy? We don't know. It certainly won't be at 66000 because there won't be all that free money saying, let's just spin the wheel and gamble. There won't be... St- government stimulus money, but if people are paying with their uh, for crypto with their hard-earned money from flipping burgers at McDonald's, people are going to think twice about putting money into crypto. So I don't think crypto is dead. I think it needs to bottom, and then I think it needs to work in a normalized world and not a government stimulus world, but I think we do too. So this year to me is all about the first half inflation, the second half recession, and that plays into the business cycle, right? You see where we are in this? I think you do, where peak causes inflation, and then we burn out on it. We get too close to the sun. It's too great, and it creates the recession. I think this year is playing out a perfect in a business cycle. I like where we are. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Brought to you by EP Wealth. This is the Rob Black Show. A personal financial plan with custom investment advice. That's why Rob Black has partnered with EP Wealth Advisors. With over $12 billion in assets under management and more than 80 financial professionals at the helm, EP services were built with you in mind. How can they help you? Find out at robblackshow.com. robblackshow.com. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. <clears throat> if you need a referral to a financial planner, find me online. Rob at robblackshow.com is my email. Um getting ready for a big webinar in a couple of weeks tied towards mid-year updates, doing a lot of research on where we are in the economy, where we are in the cycle, trying to be as informed of an investor as I can be, trying to help you. It's kind of the name of the game on the show. Gas prices have fallen for 21 straight days. That will help Joe Biden a bit. Uh, he's having a fairly unremarkable presidency as far as legislation goes. And he as many presidents do, walk into an economic cycle change. And he's on the bad end of it. So he's, a lot of what's in place now, he couldn't do anything about if if he tried. If all the Democrats got together and had a party and said, we're all going to 
win this thing and we're all going to do well and we're going to come up with a perfect formula and nor would a Republican. Um, what's happening in Russia is, is not predictable to say the least, but gas prices are down for 21 straight days. That'll help. Um, what's interesting about it in that story, I'm going to, you know, just punch one thing at you. I don't care that we're paying 480 or 481 or 482. I don't care that prices last year were 313. That's not, that's not the point of this story. The point of this story is consumption for fuel has hit its lowest point since this time in 2014. So we're not driving as much. Interesting. We have a reaction. Your wallets could be hurting for a while. Prices don't drop when inflation eases. And there's a couple of tricks in the consumer products market that you're probably not as aware of. They just change the packaging size a little bit smaller. So you get less of the goods inside of it, but you're paying the same price. A lot of people will say, I want to pay $2.99 for a package of rice. And that package of rice used to feed four. Now it feeds three because it's fewer little, not molecules, but grains of rice. Thanks. So inflation is a rate and it measures how fast prices are rising. It's a rate. If consumer inflation rate drops from its 40-year high of 8.6%, prices won't fall as fast. And sometimes they'll just go sideways and we digest and grow into it. So know that um, I've paid more for a steak this year than I did last year. I paid more last year than I did the year before. I expect to pay more for Coca-Cola next year than I did this year. I expect to pay more for rent in San Francisco next year than I did this year. Hopefully it's all moderate, like two to 3% increases. Um, and sometimes like cattle has an interesting story behind it. The drought, if farmers can't come up with enough grains to feed the cows, they kill the cows you kill a lot of cows at once suddenly the price drops but next year you have fewer cows so droughts actually affect economies pretty darn big bigly bigly i tell you um let's move on so gas prices are coming down oil prices yesterday plunged below a hundred dollars a barrel basically because we're talking about the word recession i'm going to tell you a recession would not be the best thing to happen to the economy right now, but it would kill inflation off a lot faster than waiting for Putin and waiting for the Federal Reserve interest rates to kick in and, and change people's behaviors. I know you're saying you're pulling for a recession. That's like pulling for Freddy Krueger. It's kind of true. It's kind of true. Markets open in the green today, but have kind of gone nowhere. The big story going into July, in my opinion, if we're to say what's going to be the big story of July 2022, it's going to be earnings season. And with the market fall in the last six months, you kind of want to see some earnings come down to say, oh, yeah, that looks justified. You know, you, you want every company right now to look at their finances and say, what can we get rid of? What can we jettison? What can we hide? What can we um, take away that's not attractive? Maybe it's division that's not very profitable. Uh, take, for instance, Tesla just let go of 200 employees in San Mateo who were looking at videos of what cars were looking at and trying to identify, oh, that's a child. Oh, that's a pine cone. Oh, that's a, a stroller. 
And they're probably going to move those jobs probably to Texas, where the cost of labor is a lot cheaper than the cost of labor in San Mateo. So you want companies to do this right now, whether it's right-sizing, tightening in the belt, identifying low-margin opportunities that they can jettison. You want some of that happening in this month. In my opinion, to say kind of like, yeah, we're, we're aware the stock is down and we're going to cut earnings because you're right. There's a recession coming. Or you want them to say, this is a time where we're limiting headcount or eliminating headcount. It's cruel. It's like space. You don't want to mess with outer space. You're not going to live terribly long if you fight the system. Stocks are drifting today. Um, everyone is saying the word recession. Andrew Yang is on Yahoo today saying a recession is inevitable. And I'm okay with that. Whether he's right or wrong, I'm okay. I I don't make bold st- statements like that. It's not my thing. I'd rather just say the 401k mistakes that could leave you cash strapped later in life is not starting to save for a 401k or 403b at a young age. I had uh, a coworker tell me that his his Roth retirement account, his retirement account's down 25% in the last two years. I'm like, it really shouldn't be. Because at the start of the year, the S&P 500 was at an all-time high. But yeah, it's down 25, 20% now in the six months of the year. He should be up in the last two years, in theory, not down 25%. And that's a mistake that he's focusing on performance because he's young. He should say, oh, I wish I would have started two or three years earlier or 10 years earlier. I wish I would have started in the womb. I know you're saying, don't go there, Rob, not with the headlights. Okay, fair enough. 30 seconds. Um, another mistake young people make is not contributing enough to get that full employer match, which is free money. Another mistake people make with 401ks is picking mutual funds with high fees. I go with all the index funds, essentially, not every single one, but I'm not paying 2% fees on mutual funds in retirement. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Find us at robblackshow.com. Robblackshow.com. You can find business lessons in movies like The Minions and Grill and how their social marketing campaigns have worked so effectively compared to Pixar's this year. I love stories like that, but even more, I like talking markets and strategy. Patrick O'Hare with briefing.com. Patrick has been with the show for 20 plus years. It feels like a little bit more. We really know each other well, and I just enjoyed this 15 minutes enormously. Patrick, how are you today? I'm good, Rob. Good to be back with you. Thanks. Let's talk about what you're seeing in the, co- in the stock markets, because um, I have a theory that I want to push on you after I hear your short-term theories. <laughs> okay. Well, um, it's early in the second half of the year, but yep. what we're seeing thus far is a little bit more resilient in the market. Uh, stocks are actually, you know, arguably behaving fairly well uh, in the face of, you know, some clear growth issues. Um, and I would, you know, point out the fact that uh, on July 1st, you know, we had a market that traded uh, nicely higher despite that uh, earnings warning, the sharp earnings warning from Micron, the semiconductor maker. Uh, and then even yesterday, we, you know, coming off the holiday, had a kind of a ugly looking start, uh, but there was a propensity to, you know, to rebound, uh, which was nice to see. And then the S&P 500 actually finished the day, you know, modestly higher, nothing, nothing too uh, significant. But the fact that the market could come back from an early 2% decline uh, was, was interesting, you know, knowing that it was 
happening alongside a collapse in commodity prices uh, and falling market rates. So one of the things that I'm seeing is with the interest rates and inflation in the Federal Reserve is that the first half of the year is very much being defined by inflation. The second half of the year, I'm hearing a lot of talk about recession and whether it be my spouse or whether it be CNBC, whether it be articles on the internet, I'm just hearing recession. I'm hearing talk show hosts, comedians talking about recession. I kind of like it. It's almost textbook what we're going through as far as a correction and inflation and potentially a recession. And then we would get to a rebound somewhere down the line. Are you seeing this as textbook? Because I feel like I am. Uh, yeah, I think that's a that's a fair uh, theory, Rob. I mean, uh, you know, it's kind of always darkest before the dawn, and uh, you know, you want to you want to get to a point, uh, you know, that, where you can kind of have some faith that you know you're hitting a bottom and that things are ready to improve. Um, and that's been that was the challenge, you know, certainly through the first half of the year. Um, you know, earnings estimates were way too high. Um, and you could see just in the price action that the market was discounting the, you know, the strong likelihood that you were going to have, you know, a much more challenging economic climate in coming months. And, you know, you're starting to see all the, uh, the forecasts anyway, the growth forecasts start to come down noticeably. I would point out that uh, the Atlanta Fed's GDP now model is, you know, estimating, you know, contraction 2.1% in the second quarter for real GDP. Uh, and if that's the case, then, you know, we would technically fit this, uh, the definition of being in a recession since that would follow on the heels of the 1.6% decrease in real GDP growth we saw in the first quarter. Um, so you also need, though, what we have not seen yet to any large extent, though, are, are more cuts to earnings estimates you know, forward yep. earnings estimates. They've come down very slightly in the last uh, week or so, but uh, but that's kind of the next shoe to drop. And, and you need that shoe to drop so that market participants have uh, stronger faith in, in valuations, you know, that they are getting, you know, true value at, you know, at what appear to be discounted multiples, as opposed to what we saw in the first half of the year where you had the multiple compression but not a lot of faith in those low multiples because the earnings estimates remained high. So we think we're going to hear more earnings cuts or earnings warnings here as the court, uh, second quarter earnings reporting period gets underway. Uh, and then that's all part of this, you know, this healing process that needs to take place, that things need to get worse before they get better. But, you know, the sooner we can get there, I think the better it, uh, it bodes for the stock market's uh, prospects. And I'll even go as far as to say, I think some other things have to happen. We need to see some mergers and acquisitions. We need to see some write-offs. We need to see some layoffs as part of the natural. I'm with you on the earnings, but I also want some other calamities, so to speak, if that makes any sense, because then it'll be very textbook and I'll feel very comfortable saying this too shall pass and feel comfortable that you and I will be talking about markets at all-time highs in two to three years down of, of road time. Um, what else are we looking at today? Are you worried about the Fed minutes coming out or anything on your calendar that you, you see flashing is important? I'm not worried so much about the Fed minutes. I think we've heard enough since that June meeting from, you know, Fed chair himself and other Fed officials that they're, you know, they are, you know, sounding, you know, certainly more uh, focused in combating inflation and that, you know, they would potentially be, you know, 
fairly aggressive on the rate hike path to, to do that. Uh, what I am hearing that I'd say is a, kind of a little bit concerning, I think, here is is a lot of the pundits that you hear on you know CNBC and, and other channels are you know kind of desperate for the the Fed to stop raising rates. Um, you know, and uh, and I think that it's a little premature here. You know, with the inflation rate, you know, still above eight percent, um, that you know that they feel like the Fed can just like maybe move one more time and, and call it a day because the data in coming months is going to substantiate that inflation is is back under control. Uh, that's, I think, a little bit of a dangerous proposition and a little bit self-serving, frankly, because, of course, when you're in the market, you want to see higher stock prices. You know, it's better for everybody, <laughs> better for sentiment, better for business. Um, and I think it's borne out, though, a, a uh, you know, kind of a uh, recognition that, you know, the stock market tends to feast on lower rates and the idea of the Fed being in a more friendly position and things got really rough here in the first half of the year. And so I think everyone's really kind of desperate to, for some relief on that front. But we need to get inflation under control. You need to actually see that happen. <clears throat> and it's premature in our estimation to kind of cheer the idea that the Fed is about to be done when, uh, you know, we still don't even know that, that we're at peak inflation. Um, so, uh, so we'd be careful there. Uh, and of course, you know, if you get a, a huge rally in the stock market because they think the Fed is done, we're almost back in the same boat in some respects that, yeah. you know, you have a loosening of financial conditions, um, you know, asset price inflation and everyone thinking we're off to the races again. And, and that's not the position we need to be in, uh, you know, in the very near future here. Um, it's too early for that and kind of consistent with what you and I were just talking about. Things need to get worse. Uh, before you can really have uh, strong confidence in the idea that they are going to get better on a sustained basis. You've heard the phrase pushing on a string. And I think in the last maybe month, it's been incorporated in my show a little bit more that the Federal Reserve can't really do that much for oil and food inflation and that only a recession can. And we've seen oil drop under $100 a barrel. And we've seen most of the food commodities fall from their peaks, recent peaks. Um, it's almost as if a recession's happening in the commodity markets, which should lead to lower prices, which maybe the demand. I this is where it starts getting confusing for me, and I need people like you to put the yeah. final pieces of the puzzle together. Yeah. Well, I think I think you're hitting on something there, Rob. Of course, you know the, this market is, is desperate for some type of inflation relief. Consumers are desperate for inflation relief, particularly mm -hmm. you know at the grocery store and at the gas pumps, right? Um, and so. The, the the problem, though, at this point, as we see it, uh, with this kind of collapse in commodity prices is that it's born out of a position of weakening economic growth. And weakening economic growth is going to translate into weaker earnings growth and perhaps even an earnings contraction. So, you know, the market has done a lot of work, uh, admittedly, through the first half of the year with how, you know, how much things sold off, you know, pricing in a more, you know, a more disappointing earnings environment. Um, but again, that's to harp on the point, you know, we haven't seen those cuts yet to earnings estimates to any meaningful degree. So things will probably be, you know, volatile here again, you know, in the near term. Um, but, you know, we may be a little bit closer to a bottom here than, you know, uh, than certainly we were, you know, three, four months ago. 
but it's it's going to take some time still, and, and it's going to, you know, have its share of painful days, you know, balance with some good days, but um, but we still need to see those estimates come down before we can feel better about the market really being at a more stabilized bottom uh, from which we can build on. We've got about a minute, literally not a lot of time. Any final thoughts? Well, sure. You know, we'll get the uh, employment report out on Friday for June. That'll be a, a really important report. Um, the market participants can be keeping an eye on that, you know, average hourly earnings number because, uh, you know, haven't yet with, with so many job openings still and the labor market's still relatively tight, uh, we need to see some, you know, moderation in wage-based inflation pressures to also help substantiate the idea that you're nearing peak inflation. Uh, and we're not at that juncture yet. So that'll be a closely watched report on uh, on Friday. Thanks very much. It's Patrick O'Hare with briefing.com, a reliable source of international and domestic news. Um, it's a resource I've been using for 20 plus years, and he's one of the brightest people I know in the stock market. Um, he's the guy to invite to a dinner party. If you want to learn a little bit more about how the process works, it's Patrick O'Hare with briefing.com. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Find me online at robblackshow.com. It's robblackshow.com. I think we're getting constructive. I don't think we're there yet, but we're finding more things to like. Um, and it could be another six months before that those final pieces fall into place. It could be another six years. We don't predict these kind of things. We just tell you what we see. I really like his work. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Irreverent, over the top, and smart as a whip. This is the Rob Black Show. So there's a lot going on right now as we grind through an economy that peaked in 2021, that was stimulated on its final legs. Think of it as a horse race where we were doing fine on revenue and earnings. Not great, fine. Then we get that stimulus of trillions of dollars into the economy and we finished the race strong. And that was 2021. 2022, some of that stimulus, some of those performance enhancing drugs that we gave the stock market, that we gave the economy in 2021, with, in 2020 and 2021 with stimulus checks. Those are, there's a hangover effect. I don't know if you've ever taken any performance enhancing drugs or any drugs. There's a rush, right? And then there's a crash afterwards. That's 2022 and inflation and, and the recession likely. For the record, we're nowhere near a recession. As far as jobs go, we've never seen unemployment this low and a recession. But we may see a recession on two quarters in a row of GDP growth going negative as you pull the stimulus off and go back to the old fuel that used to push our economy. It's really damning. It's really like, it's tough to um, get comfortable saying that we shouldn't hit a recession based on jobs, but based on inflation and based on stimulus. Yeah, we should. Anyway, uh, taking a look at the markets, they're hesitant today. Stocks are drifting as traders remain on recession watch. If at this point in time, we go sideways for the next six months and we, we've seen peak inflation, we kind of put some of it behind us and take some time for earnings estimates to come down, sideways isn't down. I don't know if that makes any sense to you, but I would still continue to put together shopping lists for stocks that you like. Um, one of my favorite growth stocks, for instance, is Google. 
one of my stocks that I think is oversold is Disney. I've got lists that I've put together. If I would have never been involved in Apple, now is the time I'd say I would consider it, but I still think it's very high priced. But I think they're going to make billions and billions and billions of dollars in my lifetime. And that's kind of what you're investing in. Um, that's my thoughts anyway. Saw an article on Susie Orman yesterday, and I'm a sucker. I always hate it. I hate her. I love to hate her. I don't think she's very good at what she does. I think she's talking to a segment of the audience that's not well put together financially. But one of the things that she brought up was don't retire too early. She said, there's no loans for retirement. I'm like, okay, let's see what Susie has to say about this. She says, there's no loans for retirement. I'm like, okay, that's actually a pretty good headline. And the fact that she can inspire a couple American housewives um, to try to do better money moves. I think she's too old. I think she's too Caucasian. I think I'm too old. I think I'm too Caucasian. That's why I'm telling you when there's uh, people like Money with Katie, I think she's doing a nice job. I would like to see other people in the industry. Um, I'm way younger than her. So I have to give myself five more years until someone who is in their 30s and 30, early 40s, have they've gone through the experience and they know what to do. It'll happen. Um, some of her advice was don't retire too early. <laughs> I love that advice. I think that makes total sense. But what's interesting is she's kind of getting in my uh, wheelhouse when she says, you need at least 5 million or 6 million. Really, you might need 10 million. Anything less won't give you enough protection from a potential financial catastrophe or an expensive illness. I don't think she's wrong. When I was 18, 20 years old, I was like, I need $1 million. <clears throat> and a lot like the scene from Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me, there's that issue where, oh, you've been on ice for 40 years. You need to change that from 1 million to 1 billion. There's been inflation. A million doesn't even buy a good nuclear weapon anymore. But I think she's right. Do you need five to six million? I needed one million when I was 18. Then when I started getting the idea of a spouse and us living happily ever after, I'm like somewhere between two to four million. And when their kids were involved, it's four to six, four to eight million, depending on if I want to leave the money, if I want to pay for their college, things like that. So I don't think she's wrong in saying you need five to six million. And if that upsets you, good. Do something about it. Um, she said, don't die without a will. Once again, I actually agree with her. Um, Americans lack important end-of-life documents. Why? Because we don't want to think about it. Um, I get my prostate checked every year. I know you're saying too much information. I'm supposed to. And it's not fun. It's not a process I enjoy. But once you turn 50, they're like, eh, you need to come back every two, three years and get this done. Or maybe every year if you want to be proactive. I, I kind of feel there's a little salesmanship there. But uh, with that being said, um, I have a will. Because I know when they find a polyp or two, like my body's not as clean and as pure and as 16-year-old as perfect as it was then. Susie Orman says something about reverse mortgages, and I would be very cautious on reverse mortgages. Reverse mortgages basically, you'll start taking money out of it. It's a home equity loan for seniors, and seniors don't have jobs. So what they're doing is they're saying, okay, you've got 
a million dollars in equity in your $2 million home or a million dollars in equity, it's paid off, let's say. And we'll start taking, we'll start giving you some of that money back, but we're going to get the house essentially is what it comes down to. When you die, you sell the house and they get their money back. And there's a pretty big fat interest rate they're charging for this home equity line of credit in retirement. I think that's important. Um, I think I, I see a lot of people right now in retirement who don't have that four to five million or two to four million at least. Now again, California is gonna be way more expensive to retire in than Texas. Texas is gonna be way more expensive than Oklahoma. Oklahoma's gonna be way more expensive than Louisiana. So I don't know what your number is, but you should have a budget. You start thinking about this. And I don't think she's wrong for upping the number on what you should expect to have so that you can sail through retirement and cover your living expenses and health expenses. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Thanks for listening to the show. Spread the word. Spread the gospel, so to speak. I'm Rob Black. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.